Fucking hate Tottenham. 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 Um, I'm joined, as always, by my best friend, Andre Grayson. Hello, Mr. Dow. Hello, Mr. Grayson. And it's a, a pleasure to have you back on the Boys in Red and White podcast following your uh, brief break last week to move. Yeah, it's lovely to be back. Uh, I thought um, Chris deputised excellently. Uh, he was the Lacazette to my Bamiang. <laughs> he was, and there's plenty to talk about with that particular topic, but we'll get onto that in a little bit. Um, we had initially we were going to do a commentary quiz, but we soon established today that both of us were way too excited to even think about doing that sort of thing. So we're going to jump straight into talking about the North London derby. Uh, obviously, Arsenal one two one, and North London. I'm I'm loath to say North London is red because that sort of implies that it wasn't before, and as we yeah. know, it's always has been and always will be red, regardless of what that club achieves. So, yeah, it's still red and it will remain red uh, forever. But, uh, <laughs> Andre, what did you make of... Let, uh, let's go right back to the beginning. We'll go right back to the beginning. What did you make of the lineup when you first saw it? Yeah, so uh, I had a, I've got a weird setup at the minute with um, not having Sky and... I think we'd spoken earlier in the day that you're literally not going to... I wasn't going to look at... I can't stand the build-up around them. So I decided I wouldn't look at things till 4.29. And then I saw a text come through from you being like, Abamyang, question mark. And I think that sort of threw us into all sorts of... I don't know, it was just... Couldn't quite believe what was going on, that Abamyang, Not only was he not starting, but that he'd been dropped. And it overshadowed everything. Um, I think if you look at the team selection, I think it was inspired and the right choice to pick Gabriel because he he will get it right in these games more often than not, especially against a player like Kane. Um, and I thought him and David Luiz were superb. Uh, the, the, interesting Cedric came in, but I thought that might happen after Olympiakos. Um, I think it's interesting Xhaka and Party he continues with, but... You know, everything was proven right. But, you know, great to see Smith-Rowe back in with Odegaard. And we've lamented having Smith-Rowe next to Odegaard, not having Smith-Rowe there. But, my God, it worked. Um, you know, I'd love to have seen Aubameyang in that lineup, But, again, I thought... Um, yeah, I thought I thought he got every every decision right. It's it's It was a validation for Mikel Arteta's... Um, what are the... Uh, non-negotiables as well. But what did you think? What did you think of the team? Well, like you, I was um, initially concerned because we've spoken on this podcast before about, um, particularly about Emil Smith-Rowe starting on the left and how we're maybe not that big a fan of it. But obviously, it, it worked perfectly. Um, so I'm going to stick on that subject whilst that's fresh in my mind because I, I when I was waiting for you on this, on this call, um, I saw a heat map of Martin Odegaard from the, from the game yesterday. And basically, it just showed that he was drifting out to the right-hand side pretty much every time he was in possession of the ball, or every time we had possession of the ball. Which kind of then explains why Emil Smith-Rowe is playing on the left, because then he can drift inside. And then that allows all that space for Kieran Tierney on the left. 
So I found that one single bit of statistical analysis pretty much justified exactly why Mikel Arteta did what he did in that game. And you only need to look at, particularly the first half, how much we ripped Spurs to shreds down their right-hand side and our left-hand side to see just how effective that was. And clearly Arteta identified that as the area that we could get at them because we repeatedly did it time and time again. Um, Mm. So I found that fascinating. Um, Like you, I was... I was slightly surprised initially that Gabriel came in because I thought, bear in mind, Pablo Mari's been playing very well in the league that he might be given the nod. But I think he got that decision spot on. And there seems to be a real partnership between David Luiz and Gabriel um, growing, which is really, really positive to see. And I think it's fair to say that they are the first choice defenders as as things stand at the moment. We're still going to see that rotation that Arteta seems, seems to like at the moment. So they're not going to play every game, but you would expect in the games that matter, that those two will probably be the first choice pairing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I've got to talk about, um, do you know the first 10 minutes of the game? Because however I felt about our team selection, my biggest fear going into this game was when they put their team sheet out and you saw Son, Lucas Moura, Gareth Bale, Harry Kane, I thought, oh no, they're going to go for us here. And honestly, I was worried. I hold my hands up. I was worried. When I saw their team, regardless of our team, I really was worried. And then after 10 minutes, they were just letting us ping it round the back. I mean, if you've watched Arsenal, and I want to come on to, because I didn't get a chance to talk about the um, Burnley game. I won't talk about that too much, but we're going to talk about Olympiacos later as well. Look at us in possession. We are terrified. Why on earth wouldn't you press? And it was so beautiful that Mourinho's tactics were their undoing. I think that's as much my thing, because Arteta, absolutely masterclass. He outcoached Mourinho within an inch of his life. What we did down there, left-hand side, Smith-Rowe pulled in, and you've got Gareth Bale there, right? And you've got Gareth Bale there, and you want him to track back. You're wasting your time. <laughs> so what happened was Smith-Rowe comes in. Doherty doesn't know what day it is. He's turning here, there, and everywhere, going... <laughs> Who do I go to? Do I go to Smith-Rowe's, just got a clear run at Davinson Sanchez, who doesn't know, again, is dopey as it gets, as he proved later. Or do I stick with Kieran who, by the way, has got one of the best crosses in the league? He, was, he, was, he had his head, he was absolutely gone. And that's what led to our, our equaliser. But I just thought it was so interesting that they didn't go for us. And my God, I mean, thank God I'm not a Spurs fan, but you must be ripping your hair out as a fan of that team. Because what are, what's he doing? <laughs> he even put Ndombele in centre mid and I thought oh that's another sort of progressive option and then they just sat back and tried to hit long ball and even better than that it cost them it cost them that git son's leg because he was doing a 50 yard <laughs> sprint <laughs> you know it's magnificent it's so stupid why would you do that and again I don't know if you saw his comment um, I look up the league not down alright but then he played he he set his team up like we were Brazil. Honestly, he yeah. set his team up like we were prime Barcelona, that we were going to rip them to shreds. And I thought that cost them. Um, but played into our hands beautifully. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, I, I, it's, just, it's just something about seeing Jose Mourinho sad that just <laughs> warms the heartstrings. It's, uh, it, it's fantastic. Picture, the picture <laughs> of him and Cedric looking at... Have you seen it with him and yeah. Mourinho? Oh. It's probably probably going to be my phone background at some point. 
<laughs> rightfully so. Rightfully so. I mean, there's so many moments to pick out, but but let's get this part out of the way. Um, we, <laughs> we 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 as a pair, but also as a, a, the royal we, a collective we, as in the public, um, just the public would hate Eric Lamella. Unless you are a Spurs fan or perhaps one of his family members, y- you have to hate Eric Lamella. I think as a as a rule, he's a horrible, even, horrible... Even, even then, if you're his dad, I think you're disappointed. <laughs> you probably don't like him much. Um, you know, he's he is the worst. I can't believe it was his first red card. But um, the one thing I've always been surprised about about Eric Lamella is he's very skillful and... What a goal. <laughs> I mean, I hate to say it, but when he did that and it went in, the first thing I thought was Danny Rose yeah. and Bentley. And just the number of times they get a goal that they would just never get in a million years, but they always seem to get against us. Yeah, it was... Um, <laughs> to be fair, when he did it, um, I was watching with Laura and I just I just shouted, oh, fuck off. <laughs> because I was just... I was, there was the, oh, fuck off, because we've just got 1-0 down. And then it was the realisation that we're never going to hear the end of this. Um, and I... I genuinely think we are never going to hear the end of this, regardless of the result, because in the build-up to the North London derby this weekend, the amount of clips I saw of Harry Kane scoring that goal when he was wearing swimming goggles um, oh. and when he ripped them off after he celebrated. And all, yeah. all the Spurs fans that I saw were commenting, going, oh, take me back, it was brilliant. It was just like, yeah, you drew 2-2 against 10 men. So <laughs> I, I wouldn't. I don't know why you're celebrating that one like it's the greatest thing ever. So that there's no doubt they'll talk about this goal until until they die. But I, I find I find it quite comforting to know that the best goal they've scored in years and years and years, and the best goal that they've certainly scored this season and contender for goal of the season, counted for absolutely fuck all. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. Um, it was it was a really good goal, um, and I'm just glad there was no one in the ground to see it. That, that makes it even funnier, even funnier. <laughs> so I've, I, what I'm trying to do here is I'm trying to embrace what's happened because <laughs> even after the game, you wouldn't have known that we'd won that game based on the the, the reaction from the the media. It's all it was mm. all about the goal immediately after that. Um, what I, what I am going to say before we go any further is my dad said to me the other day that he he worries about how much me and you hate Tottenham. Well, <laughs> so he's in for a treat with this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, well, understandable, and and that's gonna you know that's gonna that's gonna come out even more. Um, but let's <laughs> let's go back to I said I wanted to get that out of the way because we need to talk about Martin Odegaard because since oh. we last spoke. Um, he 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 scored a goal that um, was sixty miles an hour in Greece, and he controlled our attacking tempo in the last two games. And he looks so good. I I, I, I you won't find a bigger advocate of Emil Smith Rowe down the middle than me. However, my concerns with Martin Odegaard have been laid to rest after today. You know Thursday. Amazing goal, but he was he was having a bit of a shocker. 
But my goodness, yesterday he controlled that attacking tempo like another um, number 11 who wore, whose initials were MO, dare I say. Mm-hmm. But he ran the show. But the difference was end product. I know it was a deflected goal, but he's been arriving on that um, across that left foot. He's had two chances, one against Villa, one against Olympiacos. This one he took. And if you're going to miss the other two, score against Tottenham and all is forgiven. Um, and we so deserve that at the time. But I thought he was absolutely brilliant yesterday. Yeah, completely agree. Um, the, the goal was was timely because it would have been nothing short of a disgrace had we gone in at half-time 1-0 down. Um, mm. And uh, on a just a slight side note, um, when Tottenham took the lead... Uh, Martin Tyler was waxing lyrical about it being a, a Mourinho masterclass and saying how the tactics were spot on. They weren't. It was a it was a freak goal out of nothing, um, and their tactics were absolutely atrocious. And that's why we got yeah. our just rewards, and that's why we ultimately won the game. But going back to Martin Odegaard, um, he is a player that is growing into this side um, game by game, and he's starting to really look like he belongs and he. Initially, I think it looked like he was sort of still finding his feet, which is justifiable considering he hadn't played for so long and come into a new league. But since particularly the Olympiacos game, I remember you text me um, and we were having a conversation about how poor he was playing before he scored that goal. And then I think that's kind of been a weight, a weight's been lifted for him because he's now had two performances back-to-back where he started to sort of dictate the tempo and dictate the, the style of play that we're, that we're producing. And I think that's also a factor into why Arteta's been playing William on the left and not maybe Pepe or, or not maybe Martinelli because I think he wants that player that drifts centrally to allow Odegaard to then drift a little bit more himself. So yeah, I, I think I think it all it's all starting to sort of come together about why Arteta is doing certain things, um, mm. and probably <laughs> answers why he's he's the manager of Arsenal Football Club and we're not. But yeah, I, the conversation that's going to need to be had at some point is how badly do we want Martin Odegaard as as a permanent signing? Because I think that's something we're certainly going to need to visit in the summer. Because if he carries on improving the way he has then that's a conversation we're going to certainly want to have and need to have if, if we want to start basing our team around him. Yeah, and let's let's see how this season goes because, you know, um, well, we'll talk about the Olympiacos game, but Danny Ceballos obviously showed glimpses and fell away, but he, he was never looking like Odegaard's looking now. Um, one of the things I wanted to, to, to mention, uh, I should have said this at the team, team sheet, uh, discussion. Um, I was a little bit surprised that Pepe didn't play instead of Saka, mainly because I felt Saka looked quite tired on Thursday. Yeah, and because I think Pepe's looking like a man in form, and I, I was just surprised he didn't play. So at half time, um, seeing that change, I sort of felt quite frustrated, but validated. I didn't want to be right about the fact I felt we'd started to overplay Saka. But I really hope he's not out for a long time. But if he is, I mean, Pepe's ready to fill the void, isn't he? He's looking he's looking like a player who's ready to make a difference. He just needs more minutes. Yeah, he need, that's exactly it. And I think that's been the argument with Pepe for certainly the last maybe two months. 
that he needs that consistent run in the team. He needs that consistent run of games and minutes. Um, and what we're seeing at the moment, particularly probably over the last six weeks, is that he is producing. We look at the pass mm. for the uh, for the Lacazette um, oh. chance that led to the penalty, and it's superb. Um, and that's what he can do. And, and he showed, again, when he came on, he got straight into the game. He didn't take him any time to sort of adjust to the pace of the game. He was there. He was ready to go. And I think we're we're finally seeing that consistency from Nicola Pepe that that has been been lacking for so long. So I, I really really hope that he does have a bit of a run because regardless of the Saka situation, Saka needs to have a, a rest. He needs to have a few games where he doesn't play and that we're not so reliant on him. Um, mm. So fingers fingers crossed it's not a long term injury. But but like you say, I think uh, the right hand side is sort of in capable hands with with Pepe. And certainly the way that Saka's been playing, they they play very similar roles in that team, um, with the exception that maybe Pepe's not quite as comfortable as as Saka is at taking the ball onto his weaker foot. Mm. But hopefully we see the very best of Nicola Pepe between now and the end of the season. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, in our timeline, we got to half-time. Um, and I think whilst this continued to be an impact in the game, I think a huge... What Emil Smith-Rowe and Tierney did on that left, I mean, what a pairing. What a pairing. I feel like... I just feel like that's what a top team looks like. Yeah. Where you are terrified of the player going inside and, oh, what I'd have given for Smith-Rowe's shot to hit the bar. I was just about to say the same thing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I, I um, I had one mini rant, by the way. Um, I had one moment where I lost it because, of course, I met my new neighbours, one of them Tottenham <laughs> fan, the other not so fast, not so fast. That's okay, but I, I really didn't want to show myself up. <laughs> I had <laughs> my biggest rant actually came when Cedric hit the post. Yeah. And what I said was, we're hitting the bar, we're attacking, we're, we've hit the post twice. They're, they're so fucking lucky. I hate them. I hate the Mets. I hate them. And that's the angriest I got because we were destroying them. Like It yeah. wasn't like, oh, we're on top. We were destroying them. And for us to get the reward at half time, but again, it just so much came from that left-hand side. And, you know, when Smith Rowe drifts into the middle and has got a shot like that, we didn't know he had a shot like that. Really, yeah. Um, I mean, it just shows you we look like we got threat all over this team, which is bizarre to say after um, the the late part of twenty uh, twenty. Yeah, and obviously you just touched on Cedric, and uh, the more he plays, the more I like him, and the mm. more I'm enjoying seeing him. And I just, I, I, I do think there's a genuine conversation that we had about about him and Hector Bellerin because. I, as an attacking threat, I just feel like Cedric offers that little bit more. Um, and I'd be very keen to have him having a bit more of a run inside because I think he, uh, he's just, uh, he's, he's just so enthusiastic about everything that he does. And I, I, I can't recall many absolute clangers that he's made since he's been. At Vin- Villa was about yeah, it. But, about it. But, but playing um, on the wrong side. I mean, yeah. I, play, I think he'll play left back on, um, Thursday, yeah. I hope he does give Tierney a rest, but he just looks like I, I put here. I put it looks like an astute signing when it didn't, but it really does now. Yeah, and again, that's why we're not uh, paid the big bucks to uh, manage Arsenal <laughs> yeah. Football Club because the, the signings that we questioned was that were that one 
Obviously, Pablo Mari we questioned heavily as well. Um, and to an extent, we've we've also questioned the David Luiz signing initially, and he's over the last few weeks has been has been brilliant. Um, mm. the, the thing with him is that you know at some point it's going to go wrong. Um, <laughs> so you just got you got to ride the wave while, whilst you can. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, and in our chronology of the game, um, we're probably up to the the the, the penalty. Yeah. Um, so as I mentioned, I was on a streaming, I was streaming this and I think I mentioned to you after the, the the Brighton game, you and I were streaming, but I'm streaming this through Sky Go. So I'm about a minute behind, um, which I'll come on to with the Olympiagos game when I had the same thing. It's very funny what my experience was of the Gabrielle goal compared to yours. Um, (laughs) but I, I, um, because they had a goal kick just before the penalty. So I, I sort of took my opportunity I, when I get very stressed. So I, I took my, my, my chance to go for a, for a whistle. And I thought I'll check the timeline, see what people are making of the game so far. And I scrolled to the top. It was like penalty for Arsenal. Like three different people tweeted it. And then my WhatsApp went off and he went, uh, I think it might have been well, it was someone put mm, not sure, and I was like, "Oh no!" And I was like, "I actually can't take this. I actually can't take this VAR review." So I refreshed Twitter to know it was given, but then I didn't want the moment of the score to be ruined. But Kelly looked it up because she couldn't bear the tension in our house. But my God, it was tense when that penalty was given. But what I wanted to ask, I think it's a lucky penalty. I think we deserve the luck, and on balance of play, we deserve something to go our way. But I think it's quite a fortunate penalty to get given despite VAR. What do you think? I'm, I'm probably not as... Um, with that view, I, I think it was a penalty, personally. And the reason why I think it's a penalty is because I think it's reckless by Davinson Sanchez. Um, I, I know what he's trying to do. He's trying to get round to make the block. But essentially, by the time he's got there, I know Lacazette's completely missed his kick, which is what some mm. people are factoring into it. But personally, I think the ball's still in play. Um, it, 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 it didn't really matter to me that, that he wasn't going to get the ball or anything. I, I, I felt it was a penalty because it was a reckless, reckless challenge by, yep. by Sanchez. Yep. Um, I, I can see the other side of the coin um, why... It's one of those ones. I, I think back. Someone shared it this this afternoon about the penalty we gave away against Watford uh, last home game of the season last season when David Luiz did uh, something quite similar. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think at the time I felt that was a penalty, even though I have my Arsenal bias hat on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I, I think I, I sort of set that as the benchmark of being what I consider in that no. situation as a penalty I just mean because of course we didn't talk after the Burnley game but I was so irate that that penalty the handball wasn't given ridiculous when it was so clearly <laughs> that I just felt we'd get denied this but I just yeah. feel like if luck and I do mean this if luck swings our way from now until the end of the season we could start achieving what we might need to achieve. We've got 10 games left. It's still about a third of the season. If we get a bit of lady luck and this form continues, we are playing all the teams around us. I, I know we've written off the league. I've written it off in my head anyway. But then you look at the table and you go, if we didn't drop those two stupid points at Burnley, we'd be level with Liverpool. And no one's saying Liverpool aren't going to get Europe next season sort of in a serious way. And it just, But I just think that 
that might be more significant than just a penalty in the North London derby. Um, yeah. Well, here's hoping anyway. Yeah, and I think particularly if we if for for example if we went to West Ham next week and we win, then I think that just change shifts the momentum completely. Um, in mm. terms of what our expectations are in the league. And I think that would give some genuine belief that we could get European football through through the league. Um, it's still going to be a tall order because we've got some, as much as we are playing teams in and around us, we do have some really, really tough games as well. Like we, we've got, got to play Liverpool, we've got to play Chelsea still. Um, obviously, the West Ham game will be a tough one. So... It will be difficult, but you're starting to get that sense that there is that bit, that consistency within Arsenal that's been lacking um, since Christmas, especially. Although results haven't always been been the best, there's been this consistency where we have been controlling games and we have been more threatening. So mm. it, it's it's encouraging that the signs are certainly that we're heading in the right direction. Yeah, yeah. My my only caveat. The only caveat I've got on the of our next ten games, five are against the bottom five. Yeah. Which you know, look, I know it doesn't work like this, but if you add fifteen points and look, if we win two of the other, you just never know. But I'm not going to get too carried away about that because I wanted <laughs> to mention that despite him looking like he was tugging around a bus with him most of the game, um, Alex Lacazette is the man for the North London derby, isn't he? He is. He delivers. Um, scored home and away against them last season. Obviously, got the penalty yesterday. Um, he's just. He just. He seems to just produce those moments that you need. Um, and particularly if you consider, obviously, we'll get onto the Abamyang situation shortly. Um, but particularly if you consider that he came into that game probably initially not expecting to start, um, mm. and then produced. At times, it was a bit. It looked a bit lethargic at times, and a, li- a little bit, like you say, like he was uh, carrying a bit of excess timber. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but um, you can't question his work rate, rate, and you can't question how much he wants to do well for Arsenal. Um, and obviously, got the vital moment yesterday and put in a, a hell of a shift in the second half when uh, at times we were getting deeper and deeper and he was almost fighting a battle up front on his own against the uh, the Tottenham defence. Um, so, yeah, he is the man. He is. It's a great penalty as well. It's a great penalty as Super well. Penalty. Um, before we talk about Aubameyang, um, I'd like to talk about Jermaine Genus, if that's all right. <laughs> oh, I've seen so many images of him. Um, I, I, I didn't even watch Match of the Day 2, so I've not seen the full um, reactions that he's come out with. But I just, anything that makes Jermaine Genus or JJ, as the commentators always refer to him as, sad, makes me enormously happy. I fucking hate him so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Nottingham Forest maestro who apparently loves Tottenham. Um, he was irate with everything. Um, which Martin Keown was the co co um, analyst on uh, Match of the Day, and, and Martin, I like Martin Keown, liked him as a player, but he leaves a lot to be desired as a pundit, you know. And and yeah. I feel like Ian Wright would have been. Would have been all over it, but never mind. Never mind. That's a sub we can make. But it was very funny watching how angry he got. He really added to to the whole day, really. Um, 
But what was missing from the day was not being there. And the yeah. actual main thing I thought was, imagine coming out the ground or being able to sing to Mourinho at full time. And just that, that this was the first North London derby. I mean, it's probably longer for you. I don't know, maybe not. But it's the first one I haven't been to since 2013. I've never seen us lose one uh, other than the Carabao but in the league. Um I really felt not being there. Do you know? Like, I've obviously I felt it all season, but this game and the fact we won it. Because, like I said to you, I said to you before the game, whatever happens, if we lose, you can put it in its place and be like, "Well, there's no fans that like their fan winning at your rivals' grounds, everything." And if we lose and they miss out on that, that's I'm okay. Like, not I'm okay with it, but that that is what it is. But I did feel like if we won. It would really feel like that. That celebration after a North London derby is just the best. You know, it's a Sunday. Normally, we'd never go for a couple of drinks. We would. Or at least we'd just be that euphoria coming out the ground. That was that was unreplicable. Yeah, completely with you. And uh, obviously, when I when I spoke to you in the morning of the game, you you were quite flat about the whole the whole. F- event that was about to unfold because of that very nature and I was with you as well um because it is it's it's a horrible feeling not being there for I mean that's that's why you have a season ticket for the big games like that for those big rivalries and those intense atmospheres that's why you pay your money for your season ticket and like you said, that's probably a rare occasion on a Sunday where you do where you do go out after the game. You do go and go and celebrate and have a bit of a bit of a party, uh, a tennis party. <laughs> <laughs> well, you do, yeah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but it was uh, disappointing that that was missing. Um, but it would have been it would have been great. It would have been so good to enjoy that. But uh, I, I I think just getting the win. Um, it still had enormous satisfaction, um, and it, it, as you say, I can't put it any other way. That it's just sad that we weren't there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and someone else who wasn't there or was there, but not not on the pitch. I mean, oh. <laughs> um, actually, I'd like to talk about their captain first. Let's go for it. I think I'll let you lead that one, Andre. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I um. I always had a huge problem with Wayne Rooney because he was allowed to get away with things that other players weren't, if that makes sense. And he was the only player who was able to... There was a big clampdown on how you talk to referees a while ago, but he was effing and blinding. But Harry Kane has been backing into people, has been going in late, has been diving for a, a good while now. Um... And what he did to Gabriel was a disgrace. I think if it's reviewed, it could be it could be a red card. I think he was in front of the ref with everything he did. He's just a cheat. He is just a cheat. And the worst part for him is that it's unnecessary. And he doesn't need to do that because he's good enough. But he is quite frankly an embodiment of Jose Mourinho's Tottenham. Because... He should be better than he is, but he resorts to play acting. He resorts to pushing players. And the reason he couldn't handle Gabriel is because Kane gives it physically and thinks he's Billy Big Bollocks. But actually, Gabriel boshed him about and he fucking hated it. And so his retaliation was to give him a shoulder. And I'm sorry, in the day of VAR, you've got to pick that up. It's got to be reviewed. He shouldered him to the head. Um, 
it's not okay. It's going in late. It's malicious. It's targeted. It's it's unacceptable. Um, and it's a bit of a shame that it was Lamella who should have been sent off earlier, by the way, because he, he goes in late on Xhaka, and the Tierney thing isn't even that bad. He should have been off earlier, but I feel like Tottenham get this treatment, and it comes because they've got the England captain, and I think it's appalling, and I'm sick and tired of seeing that with England captains. It was the same with that mug John Terry as well. Yeah, completely agree. Um, time and time again, he gets away with it. Um and just sort of touching on the Eric Lamella um, red card as well, because throughout the whole game, Martin Tyler was just saying how he's a fiery character, but he wears his heart on his sleeve. It's just like, what about sort of calling it as it is, that he's a dirty bastard? Why, why, not, why not just call that? Because it, it's, it's, it's one thing wearing your heart on your sleeve. It's one thing being just a horrible, horrible footballer and a horrible individual which is what Eric Lamella is. But Harry Kane, complete cheat. Um, just, he he's horrible. He's a horrible, horrible person. I, I, and I can't imagine... Um, I, I wouldn't be able to keep my keep my call if I was playing against him. If I was Gabriel in that situation, I wouldn't have been able to just sort of brush it off like he did. Um, mm. But I, I'm completely with you. I think it, it needed to be reviewed. It should, have been, uh, it should have been spotted because the linesman's right in front of it. That's the yeah. that's the other thing that threw me that, that the linesman's not managed to see that. Um, just a horrible football club. Everything about them is odious. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um, let's let's um. Should we scoot over the last ten minutes? <laughs> I've got I've got to say, we managed the last ten minutes horrifically. Oh, absolutely so horrifically and Arteta even came out and said it's probably the 10 minutes of worst football that we've played under him um, I agree with, with 10 men you just want to keep the ball you want to try and make if you can grab that third goal to kill it off um, and you just you just you manage the game and we did it so badly we gave them the ball we were just pumping the ball up the pitch and hoping for the best. We were getting deeper and deeper and deeper and just inviting Tottenham onto us. Um, so, so infuriating. But ultimately, we got away with it. And I think you could you could sense that in Arteta's post-match interview that he was relieved, to say the least, that we did get through that spell. Because the, hmm. the, um, the guy interviewing um, asked him, is it, is it satisfying that you got through that? And he was just like, no, no it wasn't good. There is nothing good about that. <laughs> there really was nothing good about that. Um, yeah. And uh, one of the things I thought I was surprised he didn't do, when, especially when they went to 10, was a Bamiyang on the counter. But, of course, he really wasn't going to include him. But, but what do you make of that whole situation? So it's because he's late, apparently, and I've read quite a bit. Uh, I read an article about the fact that Bamiyang didn't celebrate with the team, just sort of drove off. What do you make of the whole situation? Um, I, I think it is it's it's concerning because if it's because he's late, and I think what I've read is that it's not been the first time as well. And I think obviously Arteta is trying to make a a statement to the rest of the squad, and rightly so because you've got to have standards, and he's got his non-negotiables, and I'm sure punctuality, particularly for game day. Is, is is one of those non-negotiables. Um, the concerning element of it is how disengaged Aubameyang looked throughout the the whole game. So every time the camera panned on him, he, he looked thoroughly miserable. 
And mm. then obviously the article that broke last night from The Athletic about um, him driving away, I think they said 23 minutes after the final whistle, he was gone. Um, when obviously normal protocol is that substitutes then do a warm down or a session on the, on the pitch afterwards. So that's that's concerning. Um, and I just wonder if there's going to be sort of long-term implications between Arteta and Aubameyang about this, because obviously Aubameyang is clearly not happy about it. Um, but I think you've got, you've got to hold your hands up and say that Arteta's managed that situation well. The only thing I would say is that Tim Stillman um, tweeted this actually and said that it's one of those that if Arsenal go on and win this game, everyone says brilliant bit of man management by Mikel Arteta. But if Arsenal went on and lost that game, then he would be questioned for dropping his captain for, and his arguably his best player for the biggest game of the season. So it's <laughs> it's a tricky one. Yeah, but I think it tells you more about. Arteta's buy-in that he got the performance he did. Yes. Genuinely, I think that's what you'd have to look at. And even if we lose to that ridiculous goal, 1-0, you'd have to say the way we bought in. But for me, it's a couple of things. What are you doing, Pierre? Like, seriously, you've been a professional footballer. He's 30, what, one now? Yeah. You know... I know that, like you said, there's a lot going on in your life. Look, I reckon he's gone home to like have an absolute go at whoever's made him late because there's no way he should be late. No. There's just no way he should be late. What else are you doing? You're a professional footballer. You've got the fastest car on the planet as well if you're really running 10 minutes late. <laughs> Call ahead, sunshine. You know, there's so much that you just go, you idiot. But did, I do did you actually just say cool ahead, sunshine? <laughs> yeah, just give it. I'm running late. I'm running late. I'm so sorry. Dial me in. Uh, look, I think um, my blame goes to even if we lost is more with Aubameyang than it is with Arteta. And it always will be because ultimately, whilst they're not kids, you, you'll know this better than I will. But if you want to teach anyone standards, the first thing you need is some consequences that actually mean something. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and you're the captain of Arsenal and you don't get to play in the North London derby, the only person he can be angry with is himself. Yeah. Uh, and I would I would never, you know, it would take a lot for me to, to, to convince me of anything differently. Um, no, I think, you're, I think you're absolutely spot on. Um I don't think there's anyone else who is, is to blame. Um, obviously, we don't know the ins and outs of it. And Arteta, I, I thought we spoke earlier in the season about his reaction after the Nicola Pepe red card at Leeds United and about how initially I wasn't that phased by it. But obviously, when we spoke about it, we sort of came to the conclusion that it was maybe a little bit rash um, and showed his inexperience. And since then, um, I think we've seen a more measured Mikel Arteta in his post-match press conferences. And I think that's what we saw yesterday, because after the game, he could have easily thrown Aubameyang under the bus. He could have easily have, have, have brought into public knowledge what actually occurred. But he was very secretive about it. He said that he wasn't going to reveal what happened and that it would be dealt with internally and that after today we move on. And I think that showed the development of the man management of Mikel Arteta. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think it, it, it's uh, finessing what he was doing before because I do think he's he's good on that that front. Um, I'm just sitting here going, "What the fuck did we do in November and December?" I mean, 
Never you, mind. You look, you look at what's going on this, uh, this season and think, if we hadn't had such a horrific period of the season, we'd be banging on the door for the top four. Because the, the, the whole league has been so inconsistent and so mm. lacking in quality that it, it's, it's been an open goal for someone to take. And unfortunately, we've just been as insipid and as dejected as everyone else um, throughout the season, um, if, if, if not worse because of that ridiculous spell we've had. Um, mm. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's fucking infuriating. It really is. It really is. It really is. But talking of, talking of things that are infuriating, um, but ultimately rewarding, uh, we haven't touched on uh, Olympiakos. Um, at all, so I think you know, look. I'm I'm still so happy about the North London derby and getting to talk to you about it. It's been wonderful. Um, but of course, we're only three days away at point of recording from the the second leg. Um, why do you think we've gone through this issue with playing out from the back? We gave Olympiakos three chances. I know yesterday it was an improvement, but when I wrote down a note to talk to you about the time, what do you think's caused it? Genuinely, because it's we can do it. We know we can. But to have these episodes and to be giving teams goals like we are, it's crazy. Because they they're good. Their players can do it. I think it is a case of it's just such fine margins. And I think particularly if if the Granite Xhaka one hasn't happened at Burnley, I don't think the one at Olympiacos happens as a consequence. I think it is that knock-on effect of, of an issue ha- happening and then confidence being struck slightly. So I think it, it is because we are playing it with such fine margins. Um, and I, I don't attribute it to anything else other than that, I think. Um, mm. I, I did think it was interesting because I, I, I subscribed to the um, Arsenal programmes for the season and uh, it's, it's been quite nice having the programmes in the post and being able to read them before oh, nice. the games and stuff. So I read I read the uh, the Tottenham one yesterday and Arteta was very vocal within his programme notes about um, the idea of these mistakes and playing out the back at the right time. And, and again, I think we're seeing the development of Arteta because at times before he has said... Um, I'm not going to criticise a player for doing what I want them to do. Um, and I remember he said that about Granit Xhaka at Burnley. But he was quite critical of that within his nose. And I think we saw in the Tottenham game that we didn't see any unnecessary chances being taken. If there was a risk or a similar situation as as to Olympiacos, in the Olympiacos game, we saw Bert Leno just get rid of it. And mm. that was I thought that was a real noticeable shift from what we have been doing. And that must have been the message from the top, just, just to not take those chances and not take those risks in a game of that magnitude. Um, I think over two legs against Olympiacos, you kind of feel like even if you do make a mistake, you're probably going to have enough to to get mm. through. But uh, obviously in a one-off game in the North London derby, you've got you've to be a lot more on it. But that's probably what I would say on the, on, on the matter. Yeah, yeah. I, I think fatigue could play in mental fatigue. There's a lot about physical fatigue, but that takes a lot of concentration. Because if your technique is one percent off, it's done. Yeah. You know, you get tackled, and what happens happens. But I thought the Olympiakos game was a microcosm of our season, where even the good stuff was tarnished <laughs> because. <laughs> 
We won three one away from home. Now, if if I got text that result, I'd be like, that is brilliant. But I did not feel like that. I do now. I've sort of now we've beaten Tottenham, and now <laughs> you're looking at it and going. Do you know what? We should get through. We should be able to rotate as well. I'll be really pissed off if he doesn't rotate. At least, you know, Tierney, Saka, yeah. probably part, you know, does party need to play? Probably not. Xhaka, come out the side. Like, you know, play Elneny and Ceballos. It'd be absolutely fine. Give Smith-Rowe a minute. Give Odegaard a little break. You know, there's lots you can do. Maybe now you play Yang. I, I don't know. But we've got to get through that tie. But what a bizarre game. What a bizarre game, but my goodness, what about our goals? So, so good. Um, I see. I know you're, you've got to talk about Gabrielle's because yeah, I know I'll, it's a bit I'll, I'll, I'll leave the, uh, the other two for you to talk about. But the, the, the Gabrielle one, I, I texted you after the game and said, I know that we scored two 25 yard screamers, but I genuinely thought the Gabrielle header was our be- the best goal of the three. And that's because of a lot, a lot about a goal is, is about the timing. And about the, the the narrative of the game, and that was at a moment where we'd obviously shot ourselves in the foot. We were gone to one one, and and you're thinking, oh, here we go again. We've we've really made it hard for ourselves. And realistically, I didn't really see where the goal was going to come from at that point because we weren't really creating anything. We looked shell shocked, if anything, because of doing what we've done to ourselves time and time again. Um, but obviously when the cross is coming, you're just thinking it's a hopeful cross towards the back post and not really much to worry about. But the leap from Gabriel is absolutely enormous. And to have the, I suppose, the hang time is almost like watching a basketball player sort of like jumping towards a, a slam dunk. Um, but the, the hang time and then obviously to have the the strength to hold off the defender and the power to to plant his head back across goal. It was just absolutely majestic. Everything about it I loved. And it's uh, arguably my favourite goal this season just because of how important it was and uh, and the fact it was a central defender coming up from the back to do it. Um, yeah. Brilliant. Loved it. Yeah. he He's great, isn't he? I mean, I just think the last two games have shown his best sides. Um I know he had a bit of an iffy period, but you've got to cut him some slack. The English game is different, especially coming from France. We've seen that time and time again. So I just think he looks like he's going to be a top, top centre-half. But um, Mohamed Elneny, I mean, Odegaard's goal we touched on before. When Elneny came off the bench, and when he picked up the ball off Gabriel, (laughs) and when he strided, unopposed, I think Olympiacos were like me and being like... (laughs) Okay, like go. <laughs> Mo, by all means, my friend, shoot, there's the goal. And it's a howitzer from 25 yards and puts the seal on it. But what I loved about it was I was so happy. He was so happy, but the players were so happy for him. And you can never underestimate that in a squad. And I really feel like we're together at the minute. Not the not, not necessarily the fans and the players or even the fans and the other fans, uh, but just there's a togetherness in the squad and that is a testament to cutting it down a lot as well, which if we continue to again next summer bodes well for next season. But I just think there's a real togetherness there that's been missing. Um, and that's why, I, I mean, that goal was a great strike. For me, the keeper could do better on both the first and the third. There's yeah. nothing he can do about Gabriel's. And I agree with you, you know. I like a long-range strike from a midfielder because, you know, 
you just need to do more of them, right? I, yeah. That's the thing. That's what. That's why I'm so pleased. If even if it flow, flies wide, I'm just happy we're shooting because we spent all season being terrified to shoot. So two long ranges. We barely miss long ranges. I swear, whenever we shoot outside the box, it's in. Um, but we just got to see it through now. You know, we'll take take a nice uh, nice two nil uh, revenge for last season and. Um, then hopefully we'll get uh, Granada in the next round. <laughs> the dream, the dream. <laughs> you know who we're getting, though. Uh, yes, we're, uh, we'll have the North London derby again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or in the final. I couldn't handle that. <laughs> Nor could I. Nor could I. Anyway, let's not think about it. <laughs> if we don't think about it, it won't happen. So uh, we'll go from there. Um, anything else you would like to discuss, Mr. Grayson? No, I'm so happy. It's been so good. I, I wanted to bring this forward from yesterday just so I could talk. To, I'm just, I've lived in this prism of excitement, just waiting to, 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 to talk and just enjoy and feel, you know, I really love winning that game more than anything. So to talk to you has been, been wonderful. Yeah, it's been absolutely superb. Um, and as soon as you said to me that you wanted to record tonight, I was uh, I was more than happy to oblige. So, uh, <laughs> uh, Good. <laughs> yeah, it's been a been a fantastic uh, conversation, and I, I I can't say I've enjoyed a podcast more than this. And this is our thirtieth episode of our regular series. Um, okay. So this is uh, a landmark as well. So that's also uh, worth celebrating. Absolutely. There's one thing I've neglected to add. <clears throat> A housewarming gift I received from um, uh, an Arsenal supporting friend was an Arsenal gnome. Oh, fantastic. Where have you, have you put it up? So, yeah, yeah. Dennis, the Arsenal gnome, is in the garden in the new house. And uh, Dennis, <laughs> Dennis is by the shed. And Dennis will not be moving until we <laughs> next lose a fixture. But Dennis is two for two, right? So I'll be keeping you updated. Now, Dennis will move around the garden when we lose and we will see his luckiest spot. But so currently, there you go. currently, that currently. is the luckiest spot. <laughs> that is the luckiest spot. He's two for two. So well done, Dennis. Well, uh, I'm, I'm glad that we've got a lucky, lucky gnome. <laughs> Yeah, I'll send you a picture of Dennis. He's a he's a lovely fellow. He sounds it. He sounds great. <laughs> right, that brings us to the end of this podcast. Thank you very much to everyone for listening. If you'd like to see what we're up to on social media, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram by searching for the Boys in Red and White podcast. And you can also go to our website, which is www.theboysinredandwhite.com. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Andre, for your time as always. It's been absolutely superb. And we'll be back next week with another podcast as always. Goodbye.